Namaste and welcome to the Bharatvarta podcast. Hi everyone. Hope you all are doing well. It's a lovely Sunday morning here in Bangalore. I'm joined by my fellow Bangaloreans, Abhishek Paul and Shrivatsa Subarna. Here to discuss the news and events of the week. It's our Sunday ritual for almost uh, 52 weeks now. So, thank you so much uh, for joining. Hey Abhishek, hey Shrivatsa. How are things? Hi Kari, hi Vatsa. Hi, hi. Good, all good. fantastic it's been an action packed week i should say right plenty of things on the politics economy sports and other uh, areas that that have happened right i mean uh, so this week we'll be discussing a few things beginning with india's progress at the olympics so uh, i think pv sindhu has an important match today for the bronze medal so we're going to be talking about india's uh, performance so far then we're going to talk about uh, a change of guard in karnataka's politics uh, with the new chief minister mr bommai taking over from bs yadurappa ji we also mentioned earlier about secretary of state anthony blinken's visit uh, that happened right he met uh, important people in delhi last week we've also spoken about the taliban regaining control uh, in afghanistan we're going to talk about that surprisingly last week i mean i think the news of the week for me was uh, mr rakesh junjunwala's announcing that he's starting a new airline venture uh, and we're going to round things off with uh, apple india's growth story and you know how that's been going and uh, also talk about the premium episodes that we're going to put out next week it's been uh, i mean there's the, it's been uh, it's been an action packed week and there's lots to discuss so let's uh, dive right in so last week we put out a couple of very interesting episodes i thought i i spoke about the kargil vijay divas episode it was a fairly comprehensive discussion more than an hour long various nuances what was unique about kargil the events and the milestones perspectives from india pakistan and even the us right very very comprehensive you know mohal is a military nerd right and adit knows his politics better than pro- probably most people so it was a good balance of perspectives and uh, you know if you haven't checked it out do check it out very very entertaining very insightful uh, episode we also had an episode on the whole pegasus uh, expose right or supposed expose uh, with uh, surya kanegaonkar and karandatta um this delved into the nuances of you know what surveillance itself means in 2021 right uh, the the bit of a trade off that we have to do for security and uh, they actually uh, the interesting thing was i mean the the pegasus discussion was uh, to me like you know the the you know uh, probably like um, 30 minutes long or whatever but the broader discussion on you know freedom of speech versus uh, national security versus you know plenty of those other nuances uh, Uh, really made this a very interesting in discussion i really had fun talking to surya and karan do check it out both very very nice episodes uh, uh, they're available on all your favorite platforms with that out of the way let's uh, get started with our news so today is a big day for india at the olympics so uh, pv sindhu is taking a crack at her second consecutive olympic medal in the women's single bronze medal match The India men's hockey team is also looking for a semi-final spot after a gap of more than four decades. A lot of athletes uh, failed to make the cut, with uh, Manu Becker, Yashaswini Daswal failing to qualify for the women's 10-meter air pistol finals. Indian boxer Amit Pangal also bowed out of the Olympics with a 1-4 loss uh, to Ubejan Martinez. Abhishek, a lot of sporting action. Will you be, uh, you know, will you be at the edge of your seats for uh, PV Sindhu today? Yeah, so I think I watched a couple of her matches this week, like her quarterfinal win uh, and her semi-final uh, loss yesterday. I think 
the quarterfinal match was among the best I've seen her play in the last many years. So she 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 was in very good form and played really well. Unfortunately, could not uh, repeat the performance in the semis yesterday, but. Still, we have a good chance of getting a bronze medal today. So, hoping for that. I think the highlight for the week for India uh, sports fans has to be the performance of Lavlina Borgohain, who has secured a medal for uh, India and herself in the boxing uh, 64 to 69 kg category for women. She has a semi-final on the 4th of August and then we'll get to know whether she gets a gold, silver or bronze. A really great performance from her to, you know, enter the semi-finals. Uh, as of now, she appears to be the only boxer among the Indian contingent uh, to be in that stage. Uh, unfortunately, Maricom, I believe, lost her quarter-final. Uh, coming to hockey, I think, yes, both the Indian men's and women's teams are in the quarter-finals and uh, uh, looking forward to those matches. The men's quarter-final is Today evening, I believe. So uh, that's against Great Britain. And I think India has a fair chance of uh, winning that. So making the semis, as you said, after some four decades will be a very good achievement uh, for Indian hockey. On some of the other sports, I think it's been a bit disappointing in the shooting and archery segments for India. Unfortunately, uh, no medals coming from that. We do have uh, some hopes in the athletics, broad, broader athletics part. So we have Kamalpreet Kaur, who's reached the discuss final. She may probably not win a medal, but making the final eight itself is a great achievement. So kudos to her for that. And uh, there is Neeraj Chopra, who has his uh, javelin qualifying on the 4th of August. Uh, and he's also a very, there's a lot of hopes riding on him for a potential medal. So let's see how it goes on that front. And finally, I think uh, we have our wrestlers who are going into action from the 3rd of August. And among them, uh, Vinesh Fogart uh, is expected to challenge very seriously for a medal, if not win it all. Uh, so looking forward to that part of the Olympics as well. Yeah, plenty of uh, sporting action and uh, overall, I think for sports fans, it's been a busy couple of months, right? I mean, Euro, cricket, Olympics, everything. So, all right, moving on. Earlier this week, uh, B.S. Yadiyurappa ji tendered his resignation as the Chief Minister of Karnataka. Uh, the reason he offered was that he had crossed the BJP's unwritten rule of retiring at the age of 75, serving as uh, Chief Minister until he was 78. BJP's Karnataka legislators elected party loyalist uh, Sri Basavraj Bombay as his successor. In the past few years, both the BJP has been uh, cautiously moving towards a generational change in almost all the states. I think we discussed this uh, during the cabinet reshuffle episode as well. Uh, Sri Bombay is all set to meet Prime Minister Modi in uh, Delhi this week, after which uh, the Karnataka state cabinet will be reshuffled. Srivatsa, what do you think? To start off, I think uh, we have to acknowledge Mr. Yadiyurappa's contribution, right? It's kind of an end of an era when it comes to Karnataka politics. Yadiyurappa was probably the tallest leader ever, you know, for the BJP from Karnataka. He has worked tirelessly to grow the party, right? And even before the 2018 elections, for a year, he visited each and every constituency. So that's 228 assembly segments. Uh, for a man who is over 75, 
yeah i mean the unwritten rule exists within the bjp so he has had to kind of move on uh sr bomai is a is an interesting choice in the sense that he is not he does not come from a traditional bjp rss kind of a background uh he is the son of sr sorry i'm talking about basavraj bomai yeah. his father sr bomai uh you know was famous mostly for the way in which he successfully uh, fought in the courts and got uh, you know the misuse of article 356 reduced drastically basavraj bomai himself has not been uh, you know has not entered politics in the traditional route in the way most you know people from political families enter he was uh, jh patel's political secretary and the first time he contested elections was after his father passed away so in that sense he's again quite, allegedly quite different from yedigrappa who uh, you know uh, supposedly favored his son a lot uh, when it came to politics he's seen more as a you know someone who is a mediator who can bring people together so whenever there was difficult legislation to be passed he was able to get the opposition on board so in that sense uh, he will not rock the boat too much he is supposedly very close to mr yediurappa as well and he's had an interesting rise right when it uh, when it comes to politics uh, he was kind of suitably aided by the split of the janata dal when it became jds and jdu and his father was part of jdu and he has uh, kind of played his cards pretty well so even though his father was from hubli which was their family stronghold he, uh, while he was in the bjp he never you know looked at hubli because it's that's where two famous bjp leaders come from jagdish shetar and pralad josh and he comes with socialist leanings and he's always uh, you know he's never shied away from that uh, he calls himself a royist uh, behind you know mn roy the, the one of the founders of the cpi he's stayed away from controversial issues like uh, but at the same time he has always been uh, you know active in implementing all central policies so he's seen as someone who can take the policies of the center and implement in the state so overall uh, i think he's a pretty popular politicians across political parties which is kind of needed considering that the bjp doesn't have a very large majority and it always helps to have bills you know passed with the support of opposition so in that sense i think uh, this is more of continuity looking at the 2023 elections you know for the for the vidhan sabha you know this also ensures that mr yediurappa will continue to play an active role for the party and uh, we will see him campaign in the 2023 elections which is very important right because they come yeah. from the lingayat community which is like 17% of uh, the voters in karnataka so from that point i think uh, post what happened in 2013 when uh, mr yediurappa left the party and formed his own party the bjp has gone for continuity this time to make sure that uh, an acceptable face to all factions of the party is the chief minister so i think uh, we should look at it more for from a strategic standpoint that you know the 2023 elections they want they definitely want to retain power and this is a step in that direction yeah no that's uh, precisely the point even rohit uh, made on uh, the episode that we did uh, on this 
which is that 2023 you have the state elections and uh, Yadiyurappa ji will be around 80 that time, right? And then 2024 we have uh, the central elections, right? So both of these, uh, I mean, uh, so so this shift in this change in guard is basically from a strategic point of view, from a long term perspective. So on that note, I mean, we're putting out a, a very very comprehensive. Uh, episode on Karnataka politics, uh, you know what this entire thing means, and uh, uh, wonderful discussion from various different uh, angles, right? Uh, and this is going to be a premium-only episode as well, so do check it out. It will be published uh, sometime next week, perhaps on Tuesday. So moving on to some international and uh, international news itself, uh, India and US have made further diplomatic progress with the with the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken's visit. The two countries have uh, come within quotes closer than ever before on the situation in Afghanistan. They have agreed that violence or a power grab will not lead to stability there. The Indian side said both governments were dealing with fake news and misinformation on social media platforms, and that it wants Washington to again within quotes look at the big picture. Despite the gentle pushback on some issues. Sources said that there were considerable convergence on Afghanistan and the Taliban's actions over the past few months. So, Abhishek, what do you see as an outcome from this meeting? And also, I mean, I think a lot of people would be disappointed, uh, at least in some quarters, that you know, human rights and things to that effect weren't brought up in this uh, uh, in this meeting, right? Which we rightly called that it won't be. Yes. So, I think uh, we had discussed the upcoming visit in the last. Uh, week's edition, right? And broadly, I think that's how the visit went. So on uh, Afghanistan, as you said, uh, India now believes that uh, US has basically come around to the same talking points and positions that India has been taking in terms of a peaceful negotiation within the country and uh, not civil war to decide how the future of Afghanistan should be. Uh, I think there was a very interesting question made to Foreign Minister Jay Shankar by one of the press persons during the visit in terms of now that uh, U.S. I mean, does is India disappointed that you know United States is leaving Afghanistan? And he answered it very nicely. He said, "It is what it is, right? I mean, that's a policy decision that has been taken by the United States and." What is important now is how you deal with it going forward. Uh, so, and he said that basically India and US are on the same page in terms of how Afghanistan's future should be settled in a peaceful manner. So that was uh, one of the things I think on quad and vaccine diplomacy. Again, the same uh, issues were discussed as we had uh, talked about. Uh, one of the important points that Blinken uh, made. Uh, is that he sort of made it very clear that the Quad is not a military alliance, right? And that it is about uh, four like-minded countries coming together to work on certain global issues. Uh, that could be, uh, let's say, dealing with the pandemic or ensuring that the uh, Indo-Pacific is a free and open space and things like that. So. Again, I think there was pretty good convergence on that topic. Uh, as you said, there were a couple of uh, things regarding social media and the pushback that the Indian government is apparently doing uh, and on the human rights and civil liberties question. 
So they were not kind of addressed directly in the press conference, but uh, there are media reports, right? In terms of what the discussion was. And again, as you said, I think India has made it clear that India and US are both facing a similar sort of issue, let's say on social media, right? So for example, President Biden has said that, uh, I mean, he said it in a sort of off the cuff manner that Facebook is killing uh, people uh, in the COVID pandemic. And what he was, what he meant to say is there's a lot of misinformation spreading on Facebook, right? Regarding, let's say, vaccines or whatever. So India says that basically that's the same thing, right? We also face people spreading fake news and misinformation, and we are trying to deal it in own manner, right? The question on human rights and civil liberties was, I think, I mean, uh, the media report suggests that India answered it in a very interesting way. So basically what India's position to the US is that the both the countries are dealing with historical issues which need correction. So US is dealing with the question of racism and they are trying to deal with that situation now. Similarly, India is dealing with its own historical issues, including the issue of Kashmir. So whatever action the Indian government is taking is to sort of correct for previous historical wrongs, right? So that was one thing. And in general, I think Blinken to, as you said, to the dismay of some people was very trained and respectful and humble in the way he sort of approached India, at least in the way his public comments came across. So he, his general tone was that, look, we are both democracies and we are both not perfect. So whatever each country is doing is trying to become a better democracy and steps are being taken for that. And there is an open communication between both the countries. So he did not position the United States to be a superior moral player or someone who is giving India a lecture. I think that was probably a good outcome for uh, the Indian government. Uh, and maybe a bit of a disappointment for its opponents. Yeah, definitely interesting times. Uh, moving on, as an extension to whatever we discussed, uh, the Taliban are regaining control of Afghanistan as US forces withdraw. The Taliban say that they control 85% of Afghanistan as international concern mounted over problems about getting medicines and supplies into the country. Afghanistan government officials dismissed this assertion that the Taliban controlled most of the country as part of a propaganda campaign. However, the Taliban has captured a district in Herat province and Thurgundi, a town bordering Turkmenistan. Three Taliban officials sought to address concerns of infiltration into Central Asia during a visit to Moscow. They stated that they would not attack the Tajik-Afghan border, instead focusing their efforts on Afghanistan. What's that? I mean, seems like a pretty bleak uh, uh, future, at least, right, from what it seems right now. Absolutely. It seems like we are back by about two decades, right? So the Taliban, which emerged in the 90s uh, in northern Pakistan, so that's where I guess they were trained and so on once the Soviet troops left Afghanistan. So at that point, it was primarily a Pashtun movement and was uh, sponsored by religious seminaries from uh, you know countries like saudi arabia and they had a very hardline interpretation of how you know the country should be run and they spent 
close to a decade to gain control of all of Afghanistan, and they promised to uh, you know make the country stable again. So I think by that point, ordinary Afghans were pretty much fed up with the infighting, you know, the Tajiks, and as you mentioned, uh, then the Taliban and the Soviets, and then Pakistan, uh, you know, entering from the south. It was a very lawless kind of situation, and Taliban promised to correct that, and that's why they had a lot of support initially. Uh, but the way they governed, which was a you know very strict interpretation of how people should live, uh, music was banned, television was banned, and the punishments were pretty severe. Right? Uh, there was there was a case where. Uh, they were using the football stadium for executions and uh, when uh, it was asked of them you know to let the football stadium be to be used for football they said uh, then give us a new stadium for executing people right and uh, that was that was pretty much how they ran the country uh, that changed after 2001 so 911 and uh, they were they were thrown out and a new constitution came in but the new dispensation never really gained control of the entire country right at one point hamid karzai who was the president then was referred to as the mayor of kabul because you know that was kind of the extent of uh, his influence uh sometime in 2014 was when nato decided to end all operations in afghanistan and uh, that's when the taliban started making a comeback and uh, they have been you know carrying out bombings a beat car bombings they have attacked the parliament and so on it seems like a steady rise has been in progress for the last few years to the extent that sometime in 2020 the us signed an agreement with the taliban uh, saying that they will leave afghanistan you know within 14 months if the taliban met so and so conditions and none of these were ever checked and once biden came in as he had promised he moved out of afghanistan which is i think fair enough right at the end of the day they've tried for two decades to bring peace to a country they've spent billions of dollars in aid try to get a you know democracy going but it doesn't seem to have worked so there is only so long you can you know try and help a country after which the the countries have to take care of themselves uh so as things stand at this point while they claim that they control 85% of the country they probably control half of that right i mean they've always shown a tendency to kind of exaggerate their influence even at the peak of their power uh in the 90s they controlled about 90% of afghanistan and right now there are quite a few areas where the government forces are fighting back and you know winning territory from them the interesting thing for me is that they control six border crossings right and that gives them access to money because anything that comes into the country they are in a position to uh, you know get customs and then levy taxes so the more territory you control the more access to revenue you have so from that point i think they are getting stronger but it remains to be seen i mean there are fears that you know taliban could take over the entire country in six months although the army is you know fighting back in some areas regaining some territory uh, pakistan from its side you know continues to kind of spread news saying that uh, afghan forces are coming into you know they're fleeing and coming into pakistan and so on as i see it 
i think they'll regain uh, you know the the whole country very soon at least the significant parts the larger cities you know they've always said that they don't really respect the constitution which was created in 2004 their governance model has always been very reactionary right it's if there's too much pressure from the outside world they let a few things pass but by and large they they go with a certain interpretation when it comes to how a country should be run how taxes should be collected how people should dress and so on and that's going to continue so in some ways it seems like it's pretty much you know they're going to slide back to the stone age in terms of human rights and so on while it's sad it is inevitable that's how afghanistan has been for over a century a uh, people you know at war with each other so they've never been you know a true country in that sense a true united country in that sense yeah it's a pretty terrible uh, situation i'd uh, encourage you to check out a uh, brown pundits podcast where they talk to an afghan minister right and um, yeah it's, it's it's just something else all right uh, in more positive news billionaire rakesh junjunwala plans to open up a new airline abhishek what do you think about this yeah so this is a very interesting news coming in on the back of the airline sector in general facing a really tough time during the pandemic right uh, i mean air traffic as you know has fallen drastically uh, from the levels of let's say 2019 so now the interesting news about this is the people he is collaborating with on this venture so he's got former indigo president aditya ghosh and the former jet airways ceo vinay dubey in his team as part of this new venture which is i believe going to be called akasha air yeah and uh, they plan to get up to 70 aircrafts in the next 4 to 5 years uh, junjunwala ji himself will invest about 35 million dollars in this project to begin with and will have a 40% stake uh, so right now they are in the phase of getting an noc etc to proceed uh the idea is that it will be a, uh, an ultra low cost airline and the other story coming out of this uh, venture is that uh, boeing themselves are uh, very interested in seeing that they get to be the uh, airplane manufacturer for this project because right now they're kind of shut out of the indian market uh, apart from indigo so they i mean obviously it will be a competitive situation uh, there but uh, big hopes for boeing to get back into the indian market through this venture as well yeah uh, i liked what uh, rajiv mantri had tweeted about it i mean you live long enough to be an investor i mean you will you will become a businessman at some point of time <laughs> right so uh, finally apple reported strong growth in india for the fourth straight quarter uh beside india the us uh, technology giant uh, set june quarter sales records in mexico brazil chile and turkey among other emerging markets so they've set a bunch of new revenue records as well what's up you don't see the apple train slowing down at any point of time right pandemic or otherwise absolutely not uh and it's not just apple right i mean uh, microsoft alphabet apple all of them have reported stellar earnings uh, in the last quarter the thing with apple is uh, you know for a long time iphone was seen as a very premium kind of product but uh, especially in countries like india now 
with the launch of you know the iPhone XR uh, iPhone SE they they have a uh, products you know across a full range it, earlier it always used to be you know one release one product you know once in a year and a half or so and uh, that's it so you could either afford it or you could not afford it but now you have you know starting from iphone se to iphone 12 so if you were to look at samsung equivalent uh, that's probably the uh, you know the fan edition to the most premium uh, samsung flip so they cover the entire price range the other thing is the obviously the ecosystem which works which people claim works very well i have never used an iphone so can't really commit but it apparently makes things very easy for users so the user experience is always at a different level uh, with with the iphone so when you look at all of that and you know their chips are much faster even though their phones don't run with 8 gb ram and so on but they're they probably perform much better than most android phones so when you look at you know the tech side the user experience and now the pricing plus the overall ecosystem uh, it's really very hard to see uh, anyone kind of being able to stop the apple juggernaut i mean we've been hearing for mm. years now that you know this phone is a iphone killer x phone is an iphone killer but it never really happens so they continue to grow and i think they they probably end up growing in newer markets so it's going to be a while i think uh, before they slow down yeah for sure so on that uh, related news i'm looking for a non china phone right non apple non china phone so please feel free to suggest all right so that's a that's a wrap from us here at uh, bharatwarta weekly we have a couple of amazing episodes coming up a very comprehensive deep dive on some of the e-commerce policy changes uh, we're looking at it from different uh, from the perspectives of different stakeholders the platforms the smb sellers Uh, and the consumers, right? Uh, this was a deep dive conversation with Rajiv Mantri and Ramesh Kailasam, uh, who's the India Tech CEO. Uh, again, fantastic uh, content uh, uh, on this uh, podcast. Definitely very, very comprehensive. And as I mentioned earlier, we're also putting out a premium only, right? Let me repeat that again: premium only episode on Karnataka politics. Uh, you know, uh, tracing back, uh, you know, B.S. Yadurappa Ji's journey, how he's built the um state unit in the last 4 uh, to 5 decades and then you know what the future uh, with uh, mr basavraj pomai will be like for karnataka fantastic uh, episodes both of them do feel free to check it out and let us know what you think i guess with that we'll wind up uh, this extended bharatwarta weekly uh, please feel free to tell your friends to join our uh, you know community on youtube so we can extend these discussions have more lively chats uh, thank you again for joining us and thank you for all of your love and support uh do check out the couple of episodes that we're going to put out next week and until then from abhishek whatsa and myself uh, we're going to say bye bye right now do take care and stay safe